My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 99. Okay, folks, welcome to this edition of My Car Guru. I have been, kind of like you, if you're in the market for a car, been shopping around. I have been shopping around because I've got this new business, Green Outdoor, which is uh, where we sell street legal golf carts, lawnmowers, uh, high-end patio furniture, grills, Shindaiwa handheld stuff for you know, trimmers and chainsaws and stuff. I'm really excited about this business, and we haven't opened yet, but we're getting a lot of phone calls. I was in Greenville, South Carolina this weekend with my wife and my brother and his wife. And we just love that town. We go down there and stay on Main Street. We stayed at the Weston Poinsett is what it's called. I'd highly recommend it. Take a bicycle because they have the Swamp Rabbit Trail. I think it's about 17 miles long, but it goes from Greenville to all the way up to, uh, what is that, Traveler's Rest. Doesn't that sound like a peaceful place? We didn't go all the way to Traveler's Rest. We rode up to Furman University. A beautiful campus, by the way, if you've never been there. They have a big, beautiful lake right in the middle of it. And we rode our bikes on the on the trail. It used to be an old railroad track that ran through there, and now it's, I guess it's like the Virginia Creeper Trail, except it's in South Carolina. And I tell you, what they've done with that town is just amazing. My brother was asking me, you know, what was the impetus, or I guess what was the driving force behind Greenville, South Carolina becoming such a cool place. And I said, three letters, BMW. Yeah, when BMW decided to start building their, uh, well, they built their first American plant there, and it has transformed that place. He says, well, how does just one car plant do that? And I said, brother, it's not just one car plant. It is many car plants that feed the one car plant. It's because an assembly plant is just that. They assemble vehicles. All of the components are built somewhere else, and they just arrive just in time, and that's why the plants have to be close. If they're making seats, if they're making dashboards, if they're making wheels, tires, whatever, that all comes uh, as they need it. And so when you order your vehicle and they finally decide to build it, then all the computers go to work and determine exactly when that vehicle is going to be rolling down the assembly line and when that interior or that particular seat or whatever needs to be there. And it's there that day or maybe that hour. It's an amazing choreography that takes place at an auto assembly plant. If you've never toured one and you're somewhat of a capitalist, you want to take a lot of pride in what this country has been able to do and build and, and create and how just such an amazing logist, how do you say it? logistical miracle it is for a car to get built in the short period of time that it does. So anyway, so what have I been shopping for? That was a long trip, wasn't it? Kind of a segue. Um, I've been shopping for the perfect vehicle for me with this new business that I'm getting into. I, I thought I might need to have to haul some pretty heavy trailers around and do demonstrations in different areas and things like that. So I was thinking about going to an F-250 or an F-350. and then, But I haven't driven anything that heavy duty in a while. And so I got one out. I'm, I'm fortunate that, you know, since we have the dealership here, Gateway Ford, and I can w walk out and there's an F-250 and a 350 that I can test drive and compare it. 
to my F-150. Well, after riding around in one for a few days, I decided, nope, I'm way too old for that. I'm so addicted to how wonderful the F-150 rides and just the overall comfort of it, you know, the seats and everything. Of course, the seats in the 250 and 350 are just like it, but man, what a difference in the ride. And just the, you know, the, it's not as high off the ground. I don't have to do as much climbing. I mean, every time I got into that F-350 that I drove, I felt like I was, you know, going to have to get out of it. I was going to have to get some rope and rappel out of it. And, you know, I guess you have a wonderful command of the road. You're up there high and the instrumentation is all new. These new 2024, or no, they're 2023 models. But they are, you know, just state-of-the-art, but they're also, you know, $90,000. So, I mean, my F-150 was pretty expensive, too, because it's a platinum. But that's where, it's just another example of how important it is to test drive something before you jump on it. Like, we just had this guy that decided that, he wanted to trade a couple cars that he had bought. One of them is a Mustang GT500 that he has had for about six months now and put 450 miles on it. In other words, he's not driving it. This car is 750 horsepower and is just, I mean, it's a race car. It's a street legal race car. The other vehicle is a 2023 Toyota Sequoia the top-of-the-line Sequoia, brand new, and it's got under 10,000 miles on it. So, obviously, he bought two things that he really wasn't passionate about owning. What's he trading those two things in on? A Ford Expedition. What he had before. You know, he just bought the Expedition before, enjoyed it, family liked it, thought all oh, the new Toyota came out, he thought he'd try that because it is attractive to some eyes. And he'd bought this GT500, which I guess I don't know whether his wife was giving him a hard time or what the deal was. But anyway, now he owns neither one of those and is driving around in what he had before. So this is an, a costly experience for the, well, he's not really an average consumer. But in other words, he spends a lot. He has a, a, a car habit. Let's just leave it at that. I do, too. But I'm also a car dealer, and that makes it a little bit easier. I don't have to pay sales tax. I've got people to work on them. You know, if I actually bump one of them, I've accidentally bump one. I've got somebody to, you know, do body work and stuff. It's a little bit more convenient for me to buy and sell and flip cars, and it's harder for individuals when they have to pay sales tax. And uh, so that's exact. Of course, in this transaction in the state of Tennessee, you pay sales tax on the difference, but if your two vehicles are worth more, uh, then the vehicle you're buying, then you don't pay any sales tax. We actually had to pay him boot, which means we would, well, you could imagine that. Uh, just the, we would have had to pay him boot just for the GT500, but he wanted to get rid of both of them, and so we enabled that. But, you know, that's how we get a lot of vehicles at our dealership. We, we trade for a lot. Um, normally, somebody's trading an older car in for a new one. They're not trading you know, the current model year, but we also buy a lot of cars off the street. I get phone calls every other day or so uh, of people wanting to just sell what they have. I get a lot of phone calls since I've been doing this radio show on older cars. Like I had a guy call me the other day, and he's wanting to sell me a Maverick, and, and not the new Maverick truck, but an old Maverick, a 1972 Grabber 
You ever heard of the Grabber engine? Well, it was a, I think it was a 302 V8, and it had little hood scoops and stuff, but it was a maverick. See, back then, I was a, a Chevy guy, and uh, we, we were selling the Chevy Nova, and I thought it was a whole lot better than a Maverick. Mavericks didn't survive. They had one generation, and that was it. They went kaput. But I guess my overall point here is test drive. Make sure you know what you're getting. Make sure you're going to like it. You're not a car dealer. It's not easy to sell. Cars do depreciate still. Uh, now, did, did this um, GT500 depreciate? No, you know, that's kind of an exception. I think the MSRP on this thing was 87000 It's a 2000, uh, 2022 model. The MSRP was 87000 We paid him 89000 for it. And so we're going to try to sell it and make a profit. Boy, if anybody's listening on this radio show, they can get a really good deal, I guess, right now, because I just told them what my cost is. Whoops. Oh, well, we believe in transparency. On this radio show. I'll be back in just one minute. Okay, so I got this lawnmower store that we're opening. We're going to be selling Ferris lawnmowers. They're not, well, I mean, they make everything. They're, they're mostly commercial mowers, zero turns and stand-ons and pull-behinds and or walk-behinds, I think they call them. We have uh, these big industrial blowers that you would use, not on your driveway, but like if you owned an airport runway and you wanted to make sure it was clear, that I guess you would ride on that thing and get all the dust off of it. But, you know, they sell all kinds of stuff. But we've got a lot of people now that are calling us, that, do you take trade-ins? Well, we're going to have to. Uh, for example, I've got a, a one-year-old Xmark, what is that, a Z-Track, I think it's what it's called, or Laser Z, yeah, that's what it's called, 52-inch cut, and... Uh, it's a beast, but I can't drive an Xmark. I can't, I've got to mow with my brand. So I'm trading my Xmark with 75 hours on it. If you know anybody that wants it, then I'll give you a deal. But still, we have to figure out what these trade-ins are worth. You know, like we're going to be selling Bravo trailers, which are enclosed trailers. We're going to sell Gator-made trailers, which are not enclosed. They are just like very heavy-duty, everything from something you can haul a lawnmower on to something you can haul a big bulldozer on with a gooseneck trailer, you know, hook up. And it's just, it's big stuff. But if somebody wants to trade something in, how do you put a value on that? Well, you know, I was talking, we had a meeting about that this morning. And I said, well, there, there are resources online, of course, that you can find out what people are asking for theirs. I mean, you can just go on Facebook Marketplace and look up and see what somebody's asking for a two-year-old mower, uh, laser Z like what I have or or a Ferris or whatever. Uh, you can look up trailers and see what people are asking for, and that gives you some kind of an idea of what something may be worth. Of course, we wouldn't want to put that in it. We'd want to back it up a little bit so that when we sell it, we can make a profit. That's what we do. We try to, anyway. And I did some research. I found some guidebooks that will uh, help you determine the value, wholesale value. But Still, I mean, it's going to be a gut feel situation. I mean, how does why would a trailer depreciate? You know, I guess the bearings can wear out in the wheels, um, but you know, and they can get beat up, you know, get scratched and stuff. But it's all steel. I mean, I guess the hitches can wear out, and you have to replace them over time. But we've got people wanting to trade like two-year-old trailers. Why do you want to trade? Well, I just want one of those Gator-made trailers. 
What's wrong with the one you got? Well, nothing, but I just want Gatorade. You know, that's what people do. I mean, people trade for different reasons. You don't necessarily have to question their motives. You just got to understand what they want and then figure out what you're going to put in theirs. Now, when you're trying to sell your car out in the front yard or on Facebook Marketplace, you know, you have a whole lot more options than we do selling trailers and lawnmowers. You can look on online at uh, kbb.com. That'll give you a value. You, know, you can actually look at um, Auto Trader or cars.com or any of those websites to see what people are asking for, or Car Gurus is another good one, to see what dealers are asking for vehicles. I think Car Gurus is a really good place because they tell you on on each listing whether it's a good value, a great value, and that's based on how that car, with its specs, how its price compared to others like it, you know, as far as similar miles and uh, similar condition and options and stuff like that. I mean, you got you have to make sure you're comparing apples with apples when you're doing that. You can't just uh, you know look think that any Lincoln Corsair is going to be the wor- the same value as any other Lincoln Corsair just because it is a Lincoln Corsair. You've got to look at the miles. You got to look at the equipment. Does it have a sunroof? Is it all wheel drive or is it just front wheel drive? All of this stuff makes a difference. But as I've said before. People are so careless with their finances when it comes to their trade-in. Um, they just don't, they don't pay attention to the, de- to the cleanliness of it. They don't take care of mechanical issues. And then they bring it into trade, and we look at it, and we're saying, boy, they don't take care of this thing, you know, and it just sets up all kinds of concerns on our part as to, okay, wonder what else is wrong with this vehicle if they're not taking care of it from an appearance standpoint. So you do that. You also figure out what it's worth. You know, make some calls. Call me, 423-552-2020. I'll put you on the money because I'll actually pay you that much for it as long as it meets the description and you're accurate with it. Most people won't go to that trouble, though. You know, you'll tell somebody, hey, you you need to listen to that guy on the radio or, you know, go listen to his podcast. Uh, he'll, He'll help you out, and they don't because they they just... They think they can do it on their phone or they trust their neighbor who's you know bought four or five cars in his lifetime. He knows what cars are worth. No, he doesn't. He really doesn't. Nobody really knows what it's worth. It's who's going to pay the most for it and putting it in the right place where the right eyes are going to see it. And sometimes, you know, you can try it on Facebook Marketplace before you go trade the car someplace else. I mean, you can set a pretty high price and see what kind of offers you get. I put this 1948 Lincoln on Facebook Marketplace, and I didn't get much of anything except a bunch of Asians, you know, people from, I, I don't know how they get this information, but they, they like go on the attack to try to get your information. So that guess, I guess they can raid your Facebook page and, you know, try to get all your Facebook friends and so they can market products to them over over time. I don't know what the motive is, but you get through all of that and you don't answer any of them, and then you start getting some real good offers. I mean, I had this weekend, I was covered up with people saying um, this first time they've seen that vehicle, and it's been on there for about, I don't know, 15 days or so, and I renewed the listing, 
and I'm getting some serious buyers right now. I've got two people right now. Matter of fact, I put it on pending status because I got a guy coming from Gainesville, Georgia, to come up and look at it. And that's, uh, you know, four or four and a half hours away. So he's a buyer. And sometimes you get lucky like that. Now, if you sell a vehicle like that, you got to keep in mind that you're not going to get the sales tax credit uh, that you would if you had traded in someplace. But gosh, I mean, it's worth it sometimes to shop it around because some people will pay outrageous prices. Somebody might even want to buy that Maverick that is for sale and pay a big money for it because they had a Maverick when they were growing up. I mean, I've seen some amazing, amazing disparities in offers and prices of what people will offer. Now, that doesn't apply to your common everyday vehicles. If you're just driving a Chevy 1500 Silverado, you know, you can go to 10 different dealerships in East Tennessee and you'll get about the same, you know, you'll get within $500 of anybody else. But if you, you know, are driving a two-wheel drive Chevy 1500, you're, you're going to get less money for it here in East Tennessee than you will in Atlanta or Florida because people buy two-wheel drive trucks down there. They don't around here. So a lot of this is about knowing where to go. I get a lot of phone calls from folks about just that. Lenny, I, where do I need to sell this? How do I need to sell it? Uh, what do I need to price it for? And I don't know everything, but I've been in the car business a long time, and I do know where to go when I have a question that I can't answer. I mean, I've got a guy in Canada that I call on a pretty regular basis anytime that somebody comes at me with a fairly exotic car or something that, you know, maybe a higher-end older car like a Packard or a Lincoln or something like that, um, you know, because he knows the market. He knows the worldwide market. He ships vehicles all over the world. I don't. I have before. I've shipped them to England before. I've got one on a ship right now coming from Germany that I'm really excited about. I'll tell you about that here in a minute. So I told my wife I was thinking about getting a new Porsche, and she said, another one? I said, well, yeah, but I'm liquidating some stuff. So I sold my 2005 Porsche, and I sold that thing for, let's see, $17,000 more than I paid for it three years ago. Now, that's pretty good. How did I do that? Facebook Marketplace. I didn't find the buyer. I could never have found her. Facebook found her for me. And now when I sell this Lincoln, and what else did I sell? Oh, yeah, my Ford Thunderbird, 55 Thunderbird. I freed up enough money to get this Porsche. And it'll be brand new. It's a 2024 model, Carrera T. And uh, it's going to be the last, like I say, the lastest sports car that I buy. I told that to my daughter, Abby. She said, yeah, right. But, you know, I always have liked rear-engine cars. I mean, my favorite rear-engine car is my 65 Corvair. I, like, I, I don't know. I like Volkswagens, too, the old Beetles, when they had rear-engine. Remember when they decided to come back out with the Beetle again and they decided to put the engine in front. It sold pretty good for a while, but is it being sold now? Nope. Sometimes the formula should not be messed with, and Porsche never has. They've stayed true, at least for the 911. Now, my brother bought a Cayman, a 2023. Uh, is Cayman? Yeah, yeah, that's their little smaller sports car. Now, it's mid-engine, so it actually has a trunk and a frunk. You know what a frunk is, right? A frunk is the front trunk. 
So like the F-150 Lightning that has electric motor, it has a bed and it has a frunk. And there's a cooler in the frunk also. So that make, that's a very convenient frunk. So my Porsche will have one. That's where my wife will be, and I will be able to put our luggage when we go on our trip around New England. That, that is the plan. Sometime next summer, I have promised her that we are going to take a drive. She'd rather fly up there first, but I'd rather drive. We want to go to Annapolis. I want to see the Naval Academy. Not going anywhere near Washington. We want to go back to Boston and go on up and tour around Maine and go to Niagara Falls. Never seen that. So if anybody has any ideas of any other places we should go while we're up there, then I'm all ears. I'm sure there are a lot of people that listen to this that are from the northern regions of our country. And you might have some highlights. My, my parents went did their honeymoon in the Poconos. No idea where that is. I think it's in Pennsylvania. But, uh, yeah, they went to some resort up there, and they went to Niagara Falls, I believe. I've got pictures that prove it. So that will be the first trip in that new Porsche, and hopefully we'll be able to make it make it back. It will have a gateway sticker on the back of it, that's for sure. And I will keep that car as long as it makes sense for me to do so. Because I never get married to anything except my wife and um, maybe the Corvair. But other than that, I'm good. Well, thank you for listening to this edition of My Car Guru. I'll get back with you tomorrow. But if you need me in the meantime, give me a call, 423-552-2020, or send me an email to LennyLawson2020 at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time.